0: Good morning. Pastor Adam here. I hope your Labor Day weekend is awesome and uh, you get to barbecue something and and have some good weather. Um, As far as things going on around the church, uh, this Sunday is our last Sunday where we are meeting outdoors in our field. And we've had a great summer meeting together outdoors and uh, it's gone better than I could have ever imagined. But Summer doesn't last forever, especially in Oregon, and so we will be next Sunday back in our building for the first time since March. We're going to have the chairs spread out. We're going to be socially distant. You have to wear a mask, uh, no hugs, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and I want, look, I want to give hugs. I want to hold babies. This is, this is Pastor Adam. You know that, that I love connecting with people, uh, but just can't do it right now. So excited to be back in our sanctuary. Um, Looking forward to continuing our study of God's word, continuing to worship together. Um, But we have to be safe and we don't want our church to be a a, a spread site. And we know that there's churches like that church back, you know, Eastern Oregon, that just massive community spread because they weren't being safe and they just weren't doing the basic things. So uh, that's going to be happening next sunday now what we're doing with the kids um everything is a work in progress and kind of our motto our our working thing as we've done anything when we shut things down and went online when we started to go back to in-person services in the field was that it didn't have to be perfect week one and so we're still figuring things out we're still tweaking things but with the kids Um, I'll tell you, I am in conversations with pastors in our conference of churches, local pastors. I'm on Facebook groups for pastors um, all across the country. No one has figured out how to do kids' church um, in a pandemic. And so the closest we've come to is this. We are a very family-friendly church. And so we're going to continue to have those pre-packaged kids' packs. The kids can grab them. There's coloring sheets. There's snacks. There's all that. And if you just want to lay a blanket out in the, in the sanctuary somewhere, uh, if you just want your kids to sit with you in the sanctuary, that's totally fine. You know that. You know that if your kids make a big noise, uh, we don't care. We're also keeping the service shorter so that it, it helps with our kids. We're going to also figure out a way to have the fellowship hall open for our kids, uh, so if families want to just go in there and don't worry about how loud their kids are, but we'll still have um, at least the audio piped in there. We're still working on all that, but that's the plan. Um, if somebody has a better idea, let me know. Uh, again, nobody's figured out how to do this right, and we are uh, tweaking and adjusting constantly. We, we aren't going to have it perfect week one, uh, but that's that's what we're trying to do is how do we have church together um, and how do we serve our kids uh, at the same time recognizing the, it's there's a reason why school's not in session right now. And so that's what we're trying to figure out. So next Sunday, we will be in person. We'll continue to be online as well for those who don't feel ready to come gather, for those who don't feel safe, or for those who just can't uh, for different reasons. And so we're going to continue to have online church. Now... Uh, We've been studying the gospel of Mark, and it took us like a month to get through chapter 12. We're going to do chapter 13 in one Sunday. We're going to talk about the end of the world. And for some people, this topic has a lot of baggage. If you grew up in a church uh, like I did that focused on Bible prophecy, the rapture, the end of the world very heavily, that can be a lot of baggage. Um, I had a friend who grew up in a church like that. And anytime anyone mentioned anything to do with Bible prophecy or the end times, he just shut off because his dad ruined relationships over his obsession with it that his dad had had a room with like charts and and graphs and maps and and if he would just get in random conversations with strangers about his his theories and positions on the end end times and bible prophecy and he said, I never saw my dad share the gospel with anybody, but I saw him talk to him about why uh, the pre-tribulation rapture was the only right view of the end times. And that comes with a lot of baggage. For other people, they just have no experience with it. And they're like, yeah, whatever. I'm just focused on trying to live my life. Like, how do I get through today? And so the end of the world doesn't seem important to me. And I'll say this. um, I, I think the, the, the big idea, if you see uh, on my notes here, you know, how to be ready without wearing a tinfoil hat. You know, there are people who get really weird and unhealthy and, and they become like that cartoonish caricature of, of a conspiracy theorist who's wearing a tinfoil hat so that the aliens can't read their brain waves. We don't want to be people wearing tinfoil hats. I also heard a pastor one time say that there's people that seem to be on the planning committee for the second coming of Jesus and that he wanted his church to be just on the welcoming committee. When Jesus comes back, we're excited, we're welcoming him, but we're not on the planning committee. And there are people that it feels like that. Um, So try to have a balanced approach. Jesus spends a whole chapter Chapter 13 is the longest teaching of Jesus in the whole Gospel of Mark. It's his farewell, final send-off teaching before he goes to the cross. And he chooses to talk about Bible prophecy, about the last things, about his second coming. So if Jesus spends his longest teaching talking about that, it has to be important. Now, what happens is we look around our world and people get really excited. Like, is this it? Is, 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 uh, w- w- you know, I remember when 9 11 happened, is this it, is this it? And then when, uh, you know, different wars have happened, is this it, is this it, and then, uh, you know, the pandemic happened, is this it? You know, I, when I was 23, I, I was made the, the overnight manager of a grocery store near Seattle. And, uh, after 10 o'clock, the grocery store had a bell uh if, if somebody came in the door or left the store, this little bell would ring so we would know that somebody was in the store or not. Um, but then there was a second bell, and that second bell was the one that got rang to call up the cashier. And so if you were the person and, who was assigned to be the cashier for the night, um, you would hear the bell but it was the door opening or closing. And is, oh, is that the bell for that? I need to go run up and help somebody. Oh, is that it? Oh, is that the sound? And then when it happened, you knew. When it happened, it was obvious. And that's the big thing here is there's a lot of stuff where you're like, is that it? Is that it? We're going to know. And Jesus gives us some clarifying things. So let's get into Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Jesus has been, remember all through Mark 12, he's been teaching in the temple courts. And it says in verse one, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled. So Jesus is leaving Jerusalem. He's going uh, across to uh, Bethany, which is on Jerusalem, sits up on a hill. You go down into a valley, you come up onto the Mount of Olives and there's the village of Bethany. Jesus never spent a night in Jerusalem after his triumphant entry until the night that he was arrested because he knew that if he stayed, they would try to seize him then. So it wasn't his time. So every night he would leave. So he's left. It's probably the afternoon or something. And they're just sitting. They've gone down the hill, they've gone back up the hill and they're sitting and they're looking across the valley at the city of Jerusalem, at the temple. The temple is the greatest accomplishment of their society. The, it, it is the grandest uh, architectural structure, uh, cultural center. It is the zenith of ancient Jewish culture. And his disciples, they come from a small town. I mean, even in it, Portland's a, a mid-sized city, right? But we have tall buildings. We have, we have impressive architecture. Uh, a week ago, Angie and I... Um, We went out and and were in the gorge. My parents were in town, so we had a little date afternoon. We drove out to the gorge and we we walked the historic uh, Columbia Gorge Highway, which is now a trail. And you see some of the really impressive uh, engineering works, the the Bonneville Dam, uh, the fish hatchery stuff, the stuff that was done, you know, almost a hundred years ago, but it was impressive for the time. We went up to uh, Vista House. Really impressive accomplishments of, of Oregon culture. It's the same idea. These guys come from a small fishing village. Uh, There's no building taller than than a first floor or maybe a first floor and a little patio above. And then you come to this massive city and this massive temple and they're just looking at the greatest accomplishment that their culture has ever achieved. And Jesus knows that in just a short time, in about 40 years, in 70 A.D., the Romans, under a general named Titus, came and destroyed the city, destroyed the temple. Not one stone was left on, the, on another. And when you go to Jerusalem, to the temple mount, uh, there's nothing there. The, the, way, the western wall, the wailing wall, uh, is a foundation. It's not part of the, the temple that Jesus was talking about. Not one stone was left on another when they destroyed it. Mark 13, uh, the the Bible scholar J.R. Edwards points out is cast as a sort of a final discourse of Jesus. This is his final message. And the the question the disciples have is, when is this going to happen and how are we going to know? But what Jesus is trying to say to them is, guys, you are marveling at the height of your culture, the greatest architecture, the greatest embodiment of, of wealth and design and achievement. The coming kingdom is better. There is a truth that when we think about the end of the world, some of us don't like it because we like where we are at. And we have to choose in faith. We have to choose in faith to believe. We have to choose in faith to believe that whatever God has for us is better. And so People, some people don't like talking about the end times because they like where we are at, and there's an unknown about what happens after God makes things right. And what is heaven like? And what is eternity like? And will I be bored? I'm going to tell you this you will not be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Um, there will be action and activity. We are not going to be bored. Whatever God has for us is better. And so here's Jesus' disciples marveling at the greatness of their culture, and Jesus says, this is all going to go away. America will perish. Western society will fade away. If Jesus doesn't come back for another thousand years, this will all be gone and replaced, just like every other human culture. But what God has coming is eternal and is better. That's the first thing we need to know as we get into this. Now, verse five, Jesus says, Watch out so that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming that I am he, and will deceive many. So, if Jesus says, Watch out because there will be those who are trying to deceive you, uh, it's so that we aren't deceived there are going to be people that try to deceive. Uh, we've seen it over the years, cult leaders who have tried to deceive Christians and saying, this is the second coming, we need to build a bunker, uh, that, that they are the, the Elijah coming or that they are the second coming of Christ. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I remember uh, David Koresh down in Texas, but there are others who have claimed, hey, it's the end times, get yourself ready. And they're deceiving people. And so we need to be aware so that we aren't deceived. Uh, verse 6 says, many will come in my name, claiming that I am he, and will deceive many. So, just because somebody claims to speak in the name of Jesus, it, it doesn't mean that, that, that they're telling the truth. I, I love what the book of Acts says, you know, the, the Berean church. There's a city called Berea, and the Christians there when a teacher came, you know, Paul came and said, here's the gospel of Jesus. And they said, oh, really? Okay. And they went back and they looked in the Old Testament scriptures to see if Jesus really was the Messiah. If he really fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies, if Paul was really saying the truth, they went and checked the scriptures. If Jesus is saying, watch out, because there are going to be people that will deceive you, take that one seriously. Verse 7, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. Verse 7 and 8, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines, these have often been looked at by people, almost universally, looked at as signs of the end times. Oh, there's a rumor war oh, there's increasing violence, oh, you know, we have a pandemic and there's been earthquakes and uh, there's been hurricanes. And obviously, uh, this is a sign that the end times are here. But what Jesus is actually saying, as I read it, as I understand it, is Jesus saying, yes, hey, you know what? There's going to be wars or there's going to be threats of wars. There's going to be tension and conflict. There's going to be natural disaster. And somebody's going to say, oh, it's a sign of the end times. We're saying these things aren't yet. These are just things that happen because we live in a fallen world. The end is not yet. Verse 9, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils, flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must, be first, must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what you are to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother, father his child, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. There's trouble in this world. The American Christian experience has been largely free of persecution, and it is anomalous. I do not believe that Governor Brown is persecuting us. I'm just going to say that right now. I do not believe that Governor Brown is persecuting the church. I don't believe that governors Inslee or Newsom are persecuting the church. People that are trying to claim persecution right now need to read uh, the voice of the martyrs Uh, They need to read about what's going on in the persecuted church all around the world. The suffering that's happening to Christians in Africa and in the Middle East and in China and in India. There's real persecution of the church. Now, do I believe that persecution will likely increase for Christians in America? Very likely. It doesn't make sense that it won't. Uh, I, I believe that it will come to a point where... Um, it's going to be hard for Christians to hold certain jobs because of our beliefs. It will be hard for Christians to uh, have certain social, social or societal advancements because of our beliefs and because of our faith. We aren't any different or better than any other Christian who's ever lived. I thank God that I live in a time where I can worship freely. I'm recording this in public. Anybody can walk by this window and see that I'm teaching a Bible study. Truthfully, in America, I believe one of the uniquenesses of the American Christian experience is I don't believe that I will be the first persecuted. In almost every other situation, the elders of the Christian church are the first persecuted. I don't know that that'll be the case. I personally think it'll be people like teachers, government employees, uh, people in certain uh, corporate positions. That's my personal opinion. He says when you're brought before people, and maybe it won't be a, a judge yet in the way that uh, it was for the first Christians, but when you're brought before people, he says, don't worry what you say because the Spirit will give us something to speak. When you're brought before an HR person, when you're brought before um A panel that's trying to determine whether you can stay employed. Uh, when When you're brought before these things, he says, let the Holy Spirit give you the words to say. Now, I'll say this. I believe that God's Holy Spirit works in us, speaks to us, and through us. And I have had times where I have seen God's Holy Spirit overtake a person in a way that just is amazing. At the same time, what am I pouring into my life to give God, the Holy Spirit, to work with. Uh, if, if all I've done is pour random facts about, you know, people's batting average in baseball or, um, you know, the, the, the nerd trivia about Lord of the Rings stuff that I know far too much about. And then I come and I stand before somebody and it's, it's time, the Holy Spirit's going to, to speak out and I have nothing to give uh, because I haven't poured in. I believe this. The more I pour in the gospel, the more I pour in the scripture into my life, the more I pour in prayer and growing in my faith, that that the Holy Spirit just has more to work with. I don't worry about what I'll say. I think sometimes we we think, oh, I have to take a class on how to tell somebody about Jesus. I have to take a class. I have to get trained so that I I can know what to say when somebody asks me about my faith. And maybe that's helpful. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. You take a class or you take some kind of training, and, and great. But if we've poured the gospel, the, the word of God, into our hearts and our souls, then, then you know, you, if you have a cup and it's sitting here and it gets bumped, and then whatever is in it gets knocked out. If what's in me is, is the work of God in my life, then when my life gets bumped, that'll come out. I firmly believe that. Now, verse fourteen, he says, or sorry, verse thirteen, they will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Uh, Do I believe that if you are saved, you're always saved? I I believe as long as you abide in Christ, you're secure. And uh, I, I'm not worried that I'm going to do something. I'm going to say a swear word, or I'm going to, I'm going to make a mistake, or I'm going to do something. God won't love me anymore. I believe the work of God in my life is changing me and that when I cling to him, I am secure. In verse 14, he says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter or take anything out. Let no one who is in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that it will not take place in the winter because those uh, will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and will never be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, verse 20, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. there's this idea that the coming kingdom of God is better and really the, the previous verses we've read, you know, we love where we live. And I think, I think there's something wrong when the church doesn't care about where it's been called to minister to. I, I want to be the champion of Milwaukee and Oak Grove and Gladstone. I I want to be somebody who's actively involved in my community. Um, Last year, I met a a guy who um, oversees a fairly well-known and large local ministry. Not a church, but a a parachurch ministry. He hates Portland. He hates Portland. And he was telling me all about it, and he's like, oh, isn't it hard being here? And I said, I don't think you should be here or something. Like, you're in the wrong place if you hate it here. Uh, I love this city and this region, and I want to see Jesus spread the good news of Jesus spread and lives change and hope brought to this area but it's not our home and so what Jesus has been saying is hey there's coming a time when this world is fallen this this world of darkness this world of violence it's going to be too much and and no more. He says, if those days hadn't been shortened, I think there's two things that that means. I think one is that when Jesus says, if those days hadn't been shortened, no one would survive. I think part of what it means is if God just left us to our own devices, we would eventually kill ourselves. We would just eventually destroy ourselves because of sin. And so in God's mercy, he's going to say at one point, no more, no more. I also think this means that what God is going to unleash will be so complete in its severity that even God will say, I can't do this anymore because none of you will survive. What I think is going on is we're going to see two wraths. We're going to see the wrath of people and the wrath of God, the justice of God and the injustice of people. Because he's talking about how brother will betray brother, father his child, children will rebel against parents. Uh, There's going to be people that are are believers and because of their faith in Jesus, they'll be beaten and tortured and and imprisoned. Uh, All of these things are happening and that is the wrath of a Christ-rejecting, sin-loving world. And they will reject us because we are the servants of Jesus and they rejected Jesus. They, They reject the light because people love the darkness for their deeds are evil. And there's going to come a time where there will be people who think putting Christians to death, even in America, putting Christians to death is the good thing. We're already starting to see that. That people look at the, the truth of God and they say that is a horrible thing. But the justice of God is coming. And when you look around this world, and you see human trafficking, and you see abuse, and you see um, uh, corruption, and all of the things we see, and you look around and you go, er, there's so much much brokenness everywhere. God, when are you going to make this right? It's funny how people have no trouble saying that, God, I see the the brokenness in our world. I see the sin in our world. I see the hate. I see the racism. I see the violence. I see the corruption. When are you going to make this right? And nobody disagrees with that statement. And then God says, I'm going to make this right. And I'm going to pour out my justice and my judgment and my wrath is just and pure. And God, who has never done anything wrong, will come and say the evil of this world cannot go unpunished. And then people go, oh, I don't know about that. That seems a little harsh. Jesus has made the way of salvation. The mercy of God is is in Jesus. And so the two wraths that we see described here are the justice of God and the injustice of people. Now this thing, the abomination that causes desolation, and then it says, let the reader understand. This is prophesied three times in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter nine, verse 27, Daniel 11, verse 31, and Daniel 12, verse 11 the abomination that causes desolation or the abomination that makes desolate, standing in the place where it does not belong. The Jews in Jesus's day believed that this had already happened in the year 168 BC. So about 170, 200 years before Jesus is talking to his disciples right here, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a leader of their occupying force, they had been occupied by by the Greeks, and he was the guy in charge of Jerusalem. He was a bad guy. And he set up a temple, an altar to Zeus in the temple courts, the very place where God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, was to be worshipped, the holy place, the holy of holies, where the, where the priest went to make the sacrifice for the people's sins on the Day of Atonement, the very place where Jesus has been teaching all through chapter 12. Antiochus Epiphanes went in there and he established an altar to Zeus and he sacrificed a pig on that altar which desecrated the temple. It kicked off the Maccabean revolts. Uh, it, it led to Jewish self-rule. Uh, it established that, if you, if you know the story of the Maccabees, that's where we get Hanukkah from. The Jews believed that that was the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. What Jesus is saying is, you think that's something in the past, but it's actually something in the future. Now, this wouldn't mess with the way that um, Jewish thought was towards prophecy. All through the Bible we see what some call first and full fulfillment or partial and full fulfillment or patterns of fulfillment. What that means is this is that Jesus came his first coming and he fulfilled the prophecies of the suffering servant. When he comes again his second coming, he will fully fulfill the prophecies of the Messiah, the conquering king, the true ruler. The, the prince who will bring peace. When we get into the book of Daniel in the new year, we're going to see that in Daniel chapter 9, he says that there's a coming Messiah, but he will be cut off, which Jesus was when he was crucified and rose again. And then he'll come in power and establish a kingdom which will have no end. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, you see that thing? Remember last week we said that Jesus is always looking to expand our understanding of God, not to limit it to something manageable, but to expand it. He's saying, you think this thing's already happened? It's still coming. And you can compare verse seven. He says, hey, when you hear about these things, rumors of war, conflicts, natural disasters, that's not it. But when you see this happen, then you know this is real. This is the time, the Bible in the Old Testament calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, We would call this uh, the great tribulation. Verse 14 is speaking of future events. And then in verse 23, or sorry, in verse 21, he says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it. So what he's saying is, again, watch out, there's going to be false messiahs. And this time is going to be a time of trouble like the world has never known. He, he says, hey, if you see this happen, if you're in Jerusalem and you see this abomination that causes desolation, flee. Pray that it won't be in the winter because it'll be a hard time. And I actually personally believe that it won't be. I, I believe that there have likely been believers praying this prayer throughout the centuries and that in that time there will be people who see things coming and they say, I'm going to just pray against that happening in the winter. But he's saying, hey, this is coming. Watch out. Don't believe these false messiahs, false prophets. Verse 22, they will appear and perform signs and wonders and deceive, even if possible, the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will not be shaken. I I think, or sorry, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. I, I think to me, This is why I don't believe that what Jesus is talking about was the destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 AD. Um, Even if that's part of it, a partial fulfillment, and there's still a full fulfillment, um, we've never seen stuff like Jesus is talking about. I do believe this, though. The devil is not trying to live in God's will. And over the years, people have looked, and they've said, Napoleon, or they've said... um, Alexander the Great, or they've said Mussolini, or Hitler, or Stalin. They've, they've seen these world leaders uh, who have tried to dominate, and they've said, oh, this is the false prophet. This is the Antichrist. And it's not yet. But I think that the devil's always trying to do these things, always trying to make these things happen. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, watch out. But it's not yet verse 26. After that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the end of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn the lesson of the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you will know that the summer is near. Even so, when you look to these things or see these things happening, you will know that it is near right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So he's saying, watch out for false saviors. He's told us ahead of time, verse 23. Um, there is, when it says this generation will not pass away, I actually think this is a word of encouragement. That those who live through that time can know that it's not a forever time. They can have hope that they have an end coming. Now, Bible prophecy and, and eschatology, which is the big fancy word for the study of the end times, it's not just this chapter, and it's not just Daniel chapter 9, and it's not just First Thessalonians, and it's not just the book of Revelation, and it's not just Matthew 24. It's a big subject. So when you look at this and you say, wait, does this mean that Christians will live through this? No, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe that we get the fuller picture by studying all of the scriptures that deal with the the end times. And we know that from Abraham back in Genesis, he says, God does not judge the righteous with the wicked. We know that there is no wrath left for the church so that in this time when God pours out his full and pure and just wrath on a wicked world, on a murderous world, on an abusing world, on a corrupt world, there, there's no wrath left for the church. Because Jesus has taken all of God's wrath on himself. So I do believe personally that God will remove the church before this time, and that this elect that he is talking about are primarily uh, Jews, ethnic Jews, who will come back to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, or any Gentiles who place their faith in Jesus during that time. That's, That's my personal belief. I'm not uh, interested in arguing if somebody has a different view on these things, I cool. I don't care. What I care about is this. I care that people know that Jesus has taken all of our, our wrath, all of the justice of God that I deserved has put on Jesus. And so I do not believe that, that Christians have any judgment left on them. I think that's the thing that I care about. That's the thing I'll fight about. Um, that these things are still coming, that this world isn't just going to spin on, that there's going to come a point where God's going to say, enough. That's the things I care about. And that people can be deceived. False messiahs, false prophets. Verse 32. But about that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts one of his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. But if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, Watch. This is the tension that Jesus wants us to live in. Remember, I I talk about tension a bit. We don't like tension. Is God fully sovereign or do I have free will? Am I eternally secure in Christ or do I have to stay uh, clinging to him? These are tensions that exist in the Christian faith. The grace of God versus the holiness of God. These are tensions that I choose to live right in the middle And it's not always comfortable. And it's easier to just go to one side or the other and just emphasize one side of the tension. But Jesus gives us this tension. He says, the day or the hour, nobody knows when this is gonna happen. So don't bother with your end times charts trying to figure out, you know, 666, what does the number of the beast mean? And, you know, trying to figure out uh, this many years from this and all that. Don't bother with that says, nobody knows the day or the hour. You've been left. God's given us, he's, he's left. He's the master of our house and he's left and he will come back. And when he comes back, he wants us to, he wants to find us working and not asleep at the job. And I do think that having an over or an unhealthy an over uh, focus on the end times, instead of having a focus on the gospel and reaching people here and now is unhealthy. And it's being asleep at the wheel. At the same time, Jesus says, what I say to you, speaking to his disciples, he says, I say to everyone, speaking to all of us, watch. Keep your eye out. Have have your vision firmly focused on the mission, the work, the calling that God has given to you, but also be aware of the times around us, that we aren't just going to go forever. And you can spend 40 years building your career building your dream house, uh, building everything that you want to see. And then God comes back and says, but what have you done for my kingdom? Eternity is what matters. What have you done for my kingdom? You can have all the things that that you want. And then our children don't have faith. Our neighbor doesn't know about Jesus. Our, Our best friend dies in their sins. The, the big idea here is to know that there is coming a time when God will say no more. And there is coming a night when no one can work. We work in the daytime, the night comes, you can't work. So that we need to be busy right now and not distracted by the divisions of this world, by the politics of this world, by the, the temporary pleasures of this world. Does that mean you can't go on vacation, you know, non-pandemic times? Of course you can go on vacation. You probably should. But what it means is, are we busy when it's time to work? And are we watchful for the coming of our Lord? There have been times, a few times in my life where I've thought, ooh, things are heating up. And then it goes back down because it's not yet the time. But there will come a time when it is. And are we ready? And are we watchful? If you do not feel assured that that if Jesus came back or if you died, if you don't feel that assurance that you are in Christ, if you don't feel that assurance of salvation, then I invite you to cry out to God wherever you're at and say, Jesus, I want assurance. I want to know that you have changed my life. I want you to be the master of my heart. I want you to take me and get rid of all of the old junk and make me a new creation. I believe God hears you where you're at. If you're a Christian and you say, I know that Jesus loves me, but you know what? I know that there's a greater work that God has for me and I need the power of God. Then, you know, Pentecostals call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Wesleyan holiness folks like our our church's tradition call it the the work of grace or entire sanctification. Uh, There's different things that people call it, but we know from experience and from the Bible that God the Holy Spirit does a work in the lives of people. Jesus talks about it here that God's Holy Spirit's going to do a work in our lives. And if you want that power to step out and live so that God will find you working, then just ask, God, fill me full and fresh with your Holy Spirit. Whatever that work is that you need to do in my life, I give you full reign to do it. I believe you will. The days are short, and maybe this Maybe this pandemic is just something that happens every hundred years. Maybe this is bringing us closer to those final days. I don't know. But I know that I'm watching and I want to be at work. Let's help and pray that God brings us to that place of living in that tension, being fully at work and being watching. God bless you. We'll see you next week.